Greetings and welcome back to The Dive. My name is Yitzchak Et Shalom. Welcome to our weekly podcast series in which we take an in-depth look at topics that have been studied in the past week's Daf Yomi study. In this past week, we came across, in the context of Brit Milah, came across the sugya of Hidur Mitzvah. Not really the sugya, it's a very brief mention. So we're going to take a look at the general topic of Hidur Mitzvah. Uh, I'll say from the outset that one of the more popular sugyot relating to Hidur Mitzvah possibly uh, is one that we're not going to touch on. We dealt with it earlier in the Masachet, and that was the topic of Nerot Chanukah. Uh, but we'll take a look now at our sugya and first the necessary background. Uh, believe it or not, we start not from a legal text, uh, not even from a narrative text, but rather from a poetic text, from Shirat Hayam. Uh, and Shirat Hayam begins, as you see in Source 1, really more. That's the introduction to the Shira. The statement of purpose of this song is because God overturned and threw down Paro's chariots and horses into the sea. Lots of interpretation about what that phrase may mean. Uh, Possibly it means that God is my strength and the one who cuts one down, Zimratya, possibly. He is my salvation. Perhaps it means my song and the one to whom I, my my strength and the one to whom I sing, Zimratya. In any case, not our topic. And this is all part of the introduction to the Shira, which then culminates. The introduction culminates with the next line, and then we go into the actual content of the Shira. And in this introductory line, we have, This is my God, and I will anvehu. I'm not going to translate it, because that's exactly the point here. So let's start with the Mechilta. The Mechilta of Bishmoel, this is echoed, by the way, in the Mechilta of Bishim Yochai, that's why I didn't bring them both, uh, the Anvehu, and we're going to see this passage show up again in the Yerushalmi. Rabbi Yishmael Omer, V'chi efshar lo levasar v'adam lehanvot lekono. So, Rabbi Yishmael starts with Anvehu understood meaning to beautify, from the word na'e, or na'ava. And he says, is it possible for a person to beautify God? Anveo, I'll beautify God. Ella anvelo b'mitzvot. I will beautify him through mitzvot. Eselefanav lulav na'e, sukan na'a, tzitzit na'e, tefillah na'a. Now notice, tefillah here doesn't mean praying, it means uh, tefillin. So I'm going to make these objects of mitzvah, I'll make them beautiful. That's one take. Amba Shaul Omer Edamelo, and as Rashi explains in when this is quoted in the Gemara, he learns it from the word va'anvehu as being ani vahu, me and he, meaning God and I, we're going to be alike. I'm going to be similar to God. Mahu rachum mechanun afata rachum mechanun, just like God is compassionate and and full of grace, so similarly I will do the same. So here va'anvehu has a whole different meaning. Ze'eli va'anvehu, this is my God, and I'm going to copy him. I'm going to do imitatio dei. Rabbi Aglili Omer, third opinion, I will praise him in front of the world. So that's ve'anvehu, and we'll see where he gets that from. Rabbi Yossi ben Adur Mesquit, who was actually from Damascus, that's the name, Omer eselefanav beit mikdash na'e. I will make a beautiful beit mikdash for him because ein nave ela beit mikdash. How does he know that? Because the word nave anvehu, which is which means in Hebrew means a pasture, is the place of the beit mikdash. Shinemar vet navehu eshamu inti elim. We read that they have des- they made desolate God's nave, and referring to the korban beit mikdash. Yerushalayim is called Nave Sha'anan, the peaceful uh, Nave. Rabbi Kiva Omer, a different thing. I will speak God's praises, uh, which is similar to Rabbi but not the same. Um, of the, the praises of the he who spoke and the world came into being, in front of the whole world. And now we get to a, a, a very uh, timely, considering that we are in the period before Tisha B'Av, a timely passage, is that uh, the world challenges Yisrael. Lomar, 
Now this is Rabbi Akiva, of course, Rabbi Akiva, who was the champion of Shir Hashirim, and sees this line in Shir Hashirim as a dialogue between the beloved, which is Am Yisrael, and Benot Yerushalayim, which are the rest of the world, the other girls, the other nations. And the other nations ask the beloved when she's pining for her lover and chasing through the streets to find him, Ma dodech midod Why is your beloved any different than any other, any other man, or any other lover, as it were, uh, that you've made us take this oath not to push the affair, why is your beloved so so different than all others? In other words, why is your God different than all other gods that you're willing to give your life for him? And you are murdered for his sake. This is referring likely to the Hadrianic persecutions. It says, therefore the young women, alamot, from the plural of alma, love you, but the word alamot can be played with midrashically, they love you till death, meaning they love you so much they're willing to die for you. We have been killed for you all day. You guys are beautiful. You guys are valorous. You guys come and mix with us, say the Romans we're picturing. So the Israel says to the rest of the world, do you really know him? We will tell you a little bit of how great he is. And at the beginning of the uh, of the girl's response to the other girls uh, in uh, in chapter five, she starts speaking about his praise. And then once they hear that, and this is now something that did not yet happen, but Rabbi Kiva is envisioning, then they say to Am Yisrael, we are going to follow you. We're going to now go to you, to your God, Shnemar. This is uh, in the beginning of the sixth chapter, at the end of that speech. Uh, the chapter divisions in Shoshim horrendous and, and really are, are show no regard for the actual proper divisions. Um, but at the end of that speech, they say, where did your beloved go, right? And we will seek him out with you, which in the context of the of Shir Shirim, seems to be we're going to help you find him because you're looking for him. But here it's like, we're going to go look for him with you. We're going to want to join you. All right? You have no portion with him. Right, and basically saying that we have an exclusive relationship. So that entire thing is Rabbi Kiva's comment on Vianvehu, So on Vehu, they're playing with the word and saying, Alvenu, I will escort him. Until he comes to the Veta Mikdash, I will escort God with me. That's the Mishkan, evidently, until we come to the Beit Mikdash. So we see six different interpretations of what Vianvehu is. It's the first one that drives us toward Hidur Mitzvah. It's the only one here that speaks about Hidur Mitzvah. Two of them speak about praising God in front of the world. That's Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Yossi Aglili. We have Abba Shaul, who says that Anveu refers to imitating God, Rabbi Yosef and Kemit, and Rabbi Yishmael, who speak about the Beit Chachamim, who speak about the Beit Hamikdash, but in two different ways. So a whole range of opinions about Vianvehu. It's the first one, of course, that captures our attention. Let's, for a moment, go to page two, just to take a look at the range of approaches among the Rishonim, just on the word Vianvehu, just locally in this uh, in this Pasuk in Shmot Tedvav. So Rashi, we always start with Rashi, Vianvehu, Unklus Turgeim Lashon Naveh. So Unklus translated as the, the place, the pasture, Naveh Shanan, Naveh Tzon, he quotes those Pasukim, we've seen them already in the Mechilta, he says, another matter is, means beauty. No, notice, Rashi does not go in the direction of Hidur Mitzvah, but rather, I will speak about his beauty and his greatness and his praise to people who, in the world. In other words, he adopts Rabbi Akiva's position. Okay, the Rashbam. He says, 
I will make him beautiful. Kamo Hanava Vahamunaga Dimiti Batsion. Pasukin Yumiahu will can say it again. The beautiful one, again, beauty. It's not a place, a a uh, a, uh, a pasture or a locale. He says the fact that there is the um, the anvehu, right, right away proves that it's not referring to a place, but it's referring to a verb of something I'm going to do for him. Right. However, the Ben Ezra immediately does take that position and says, "Ve'anvehu" means "Oshivenu benave." I will have him settle in a nave, in a place, in a pasture, as it were. Riosef b'chor shor, back to France. Ve'anvehu pishir. Now, Riosef b'chor shor is looking at this contextually, which is very, which is a lot of what drives uh, pshat exegesis, which is look at the pasuk in the context of its entire uh, framework. And here it's the beginning of the shira. The anvehu means I will beautify him with singing. Lashon and Naava ki Yerushalayim, like in Shirashirim, she is beautiful like Yerushalayim. The Yesh the Faresh anvehu. Some people explain it. Lashon Naave Kochecha, which also shows up later in the Shira. Naave Kochecha, your beautiful place. So the the Bechor Shor adopts something similar to maybe Rabbi Yosi Aglili in the in the Mechilta although independent of him. And then he also adopts something along the lines of the Targum, which is what we saw in Chachamim uh, and in Rabbi, and, uh, in, uh, Rabbi Yossi uh, uh, Haglili in the, uh, in the in Mechilta about the place. The Ramban. And this is after a long Ramban where he, where he quotes the Ibn Ezra and he says it's wrong and he says it has to do with certain mystical things. He says, means this is my God and I'm going to raise him up to the high place. And this harks back to the opening line in Parshat Va'era. When Hashem says, And so we were privy to this shame Hashem that the Avot never had. So the idea is, I'm going to raise God up to that level. This has a lot to do with mysticism, as the Ramban says, and I have no way of explaining it. The Ibn Kaspi says, says So he merges two of them. He says, in the sense of a place, but also in the sense of honor, uh, kind of beauty, but honor, and so I'm going to build him a place of great honor. Uh, this again connects to the issue of the place. Um, we we'll take we we'll take a look at the Ralbag. Move ahead a little bit in uh, in France to the 13th century. He quotes the Targum. And his shechina will be seen there. Some of our our forebears uh, translated it as beauty. So we have such a pasuk, and then the pasuk in uh, in Yo Gevri Yahir Velo Yinves. Sorry, in Tfania, a haughty man Velo Yinves. Velo Yinves means he isn't beautiful. And ve'im kol zehu yair means he's boastful, but without anything to be boasting about. Ve'yaharatzon bezeh ze'ilim it means va'ta'areu b'ta'arim yebayem me'anoi va'yofi ma'shevshar. So he puts it all together and says, "An ve'u means I will praise God with beautiful praises, which is possible, which are possible." Because in God's actions you'll find the ultimate in beauty, in perfection. But then he takes another tack. Very interesting. And he likes this the most. I'm going to describe him as if he has a dwelling place. In other words, he says this is, and again, this is very, dri- very much driven to context and chat, is since this is the beginning of a shira, I'm going to describe God in human terms as if he has a residence, and then I'm going to go on and use other t- human terms um, as if he's really a human power. There's no way to talk about God without that. It's what we call anthropomorphism, and in another sense, anthropopathism. 
That's why you say your right hand, right? anything like that. It's as if he says the word vehu is an apologia. He's apologizing in advance for the fact that, okay, the best thing we can do is to praise him using human terms, and that's what we can do. Very interesting take of the Ralbag, very fitting with the Ralbag and his, uh, and his um, association with, uh, with rationalism. Uh, Shadal, going now to the 19th century, uh, Shadal Vianveu says, Lashon na'aveh sh'inyano nechmad v'yafeh. Again, Vianveu, beauty. I will beautify God through my praise. Again, this is Shira. And he says, look at the second half of the phrase. What's the parallel? So what is Aromenhu? I will raise him up and exalt him with my words. So what's Anvehu? I will give him beauty. So Amenu is, I will give him exaltation. You know, it's the word to give, to grant something to God, means to associate with God by verbally praising him that way, such as, etc., grant it to God by praising him that way. And the explicit form here in Tehillim, doesn't mean you give strength to God, it means Reckon strength to God, praise God for his strength, acknowledge God's strength. And so it says, Vianvehu means I will speak about God and and praise him about how beautiful he is, just like our menu is, I will praise him about how exalted he is. Okay. And the last of them, Farshim, we're going to look at, now going to the end of the 19th century, the Hon Moshe Tedeshki says, Vianvehu, Rovim Farshim Pershum El Shon Naveh. And he accurately says, the, the broader stream of the Mefarshim, although by no means a landslide, uh, interpreted as being about a place. That doesn't leave me at ease, that interpretation. And now he goes to Bereshit, when Leah refers to uh, her newborn son and calls him Zvulun, he says, and Zvul is a high place. That comes from the word zvul, which is the same as naveh. So yizbeleni means he will reside with me. Yizbeleni she means my husband will now stay with me because I've now given him eight eight sons, uh, uh, six sons. All right, so therefore, Anveyu should be, he will reside with me, not I'll build him a place. So he's saying syntactically it doesn't really work. Velo evnelo mishkan. Also, the second half of the Pusuk says, I will exalt him. Therefore, Anveyu, based on biblical parallelism, um, has to be similar to the word Leromeim. The Chacha Neomer says, therefore, is what I think it means. He says, related to the word Na'ava or Na'e, which means beautiful. The Pasuk that we already saw. You're going to say, I'm going to praise, I'm going to make him great with thanksgiving. Just like our menu, meaning. I'm not mean I'm going to make him great. So it means again, and so the Holy Moshe says, similar to the to Shadal, that what it means is I'm going to praise God and raise him up, and I'm going to make him beautiful through my words. Meaning I'll express his beauty in my words. Okay, so we've seen a wide range of approaches. Again, in the medievalists, the mainstream approach they took was. Uh, the location. However, we already saw the Rashbam disputing that and saying it was about beauty. Um, we did not see anybody adopt Abba Shaul's position about Anivahu and saying, I will be sim- similar to him. And among all the Pshat exegetes, they looked at it in the context of the Shira, uh, the fact that, the, that this is the beginning of a song. And uh, in the case of the, of the Rabag, for instance, he saw it as being an explanation for why we're going to be speaking the way we are in that song. Okay, that's Vian Vehu. And now let's see our sugya. The Mishnah in Masachat Shabbat, as, as you recall, almost all the laws of Brit Milah are in Masachat Shabbat in this Perak Perak Yutet, which is known, commonly known as Rabbi Yazid de Milah. 
And the really reason is because the first words of the, of the first Mishnah are Rebbe Eliezer. Rebbe Eliezer Omer, you can do all the preparations on Shabbat for Milah. And Rebbe Kiva disagrees and says only things that couldn't be done on Friday. So you can't chop wood to build a fire, to, to, uh, to heat water, etc. But you could do the Milah itself. Um, and so it's commonly known as Rebbe Eliezer de Milah because there's a number of prakim that starts with, start with Rebbe Eliezer. And the reason that the Brit Milah is in Masachat Shabbat is because the discussion focuses around Brit Milah on Shabbat. Uh, and so now, Osin kol Milah So this second Mishnah says we do all the things that are necessary for Brit Milah on Shabbat. That includes the Milah itself, Porin, which means pulling the skin back. Motzitzin, which means a certain removing of the blood, sucking out the blood. Um, and then and the Mishnah goes on. Now, the Gemara. Since we... After all, we listed all the things. Why to say What do you need for? It's there to support the following teaching. Hamal... Somebody who's doing Brit Milah and is on Shabbat calls Manshu or Seik Milah as long as he's still involved in the Milah. He hasn't taken his hands away. He goes back for the little pieces of skin that get in the way, and even for the little pieces of skin that don't get in the way, meaning that are that that if they, you leave them there, the Milah is still proper. Piresh, the minute he steps away, al he only goes back for those things that would affect the milah, meaning that if they were still there, the milah would not be valid. However, al but he would not go back for the tzitzin that if he didn't take them away, they're not ma'akevat milah. Now, that's what is being included about kotzoche milah, even those tzitzin ha'makvinat milah. Now, man tana piresh so now, let's see, who is the Tana who would have the opinion that if you stepped away, you don't go back? It's, it's him. How do we know that? The Tanya. And it's going to be from a very different place. The 14th of Nisan is on Shabbat, which means in preparing the Pesach, the Shechita is done on Shabbat, and that's the Sugya, the sixth parak of, uh, of Pesachim, uh, and uh, the whole discussion with the Hillel and how he raised the great, we came to greatness, uh, that we do the Shechita. What about after the Shechita? What about other things that are necessary to do in order to be able to prepare the Korban Pesach uh, for, its, uh, for its cooking on Motzei Shabbat? So, Pesach you, Chazeh. You, you flay it. You take off the skin all the way to the chest. He says, that's as far as you go. He says, no, you do everything. Which sounds like says on Shabbat when you are in you are violating something for a mitzvah which does trump Shabbat you only do the minimum. However, you don't do more than that, and this is enough to be able to process the Pesach. And Chacham say once you're doing it, you do the whole thing. That's the a priori approach of to understanding this, and therefore the same thing if you're doing Brit Milah, either you take the position that once you're doing Brit Milah you could do all of it, even the Necessary, the unnecessary parts, which if you left them with the milah would still be kosher, you could still do them. And we think that Rabbi Shmuel, Menosha, Rucham, Ruka would say, no, you can only do those parts which are vital. All right, that's what we think. Mimai, we challenge the analogy. Ad kan lo kam Rabbi Shmuel, Menosha, Rucham, Ruka, tam yishum lo ba'inan ze'elivian ve'hu. Perhaps he says that you only strip it to the chest because there's no contact, no notion of ze'elivian ve'hu here. And there's no notion of Yidu Mitzvah, and that's an important thing. We'll come back to that. But when it comes to Brit Milah, there's a notion of Zeh So in other words, maybe he would say that even though those Tzitzin don't render the Milah invalid, but they render it imperfect, and therefore there's another push to do it, and therefore we would violate Shabbat to do uh, those Tzitzin because of Zeh We're going to come back to that piece also. This is a vital piece here. The Tanya, and here's our Arb Sugya, Ze'ili Vianveu, our Pasuk, Hitna Elefanav Bemitzvot. This is Rabbi Shmuel, right? I say, Lefanav Sukana'av, Lulavna'av, Shafarna'av, Tzitzitna'av, Sefertorana'av. Notice, by the way, that so far we're talking about objects of a mitzvah and make sure that they are beautiful. Make sure your sukkah is beautiful. 
Your lulav is beautiful. Shofar is attractive. Your tzitzit are attractive. Your sefer Torah is nice. So write the sefer Torah l'shem Hashem. Is that part of Hidur Mitzvah or not? That would be very difficult to say that it is. But with nice ink, with a nice quill, and use an expert scribe, and use a nice cover for it. That's Hidur Mitzvah. Abishaul Omer, is Have Domelo. We already saw Abishaul in the Mechilta. Vianveu means. I will be similar to him. And again, Rashi here points out, Yanveu is Anivahu. Mahu Chanun Rahum, Rahum. Just like God is compassionate, you be compassionate, etc. Okay, so take a look at the Sugya and we find um, several things of interest. All right, and I said we come back to this, we'll come back to it right now. First thing is that uh, you notice that the Gemara takes it, um, uh, takes it uh, as axiomatic that the notion of Hidur Mitzvah is limited. It doesn't exist everywhere. And therefore, they can make the distinction and say, when it comes to flaying a korban, there's no rule of Hidur Mitzvah. And therefore, not the same as our Rebishman, the same person, uh, would say that you don't have to flay the whole thing. There's no nothing motivating you to do it to beautify the mitzvah. As opposed to Brit Milah, where there is a motivator to say, make the Brit Milah be a beautiful Brit Milah. Right, so we have to see why the, that difference exists. Right, um, notice that in the Brita, the the objects that are mentioned there are not physical, meaning they're not part of uh, the human body, but rather they are objects that we use that are physical objects that are separate from the body that say you should either buy or make or do it in a fashion that leaves it looking pretty. So you look at it, you see a beautiful sukkah, you see a beautiful sefer Torah, etc. How did Brit Milah get kind of snuck in there? Because it's not mentioned, but it's assumed that that's going to be on the list, and therefore we'd make that distinction. Right. So these are things that we now have to Keep in mind as we move ahead. We have a uh, related sugya uh, in Masachat Sukkah. shouldn't be a surprise uh, because, as we will see in the ancillary texts, the one other text that we go back to often that relates to the Dur Mitzvah is about Sukkot. We'll see it a little bit later on. Um, in Source 5, Lulav ben Agud ben Sheino Agud Kasher. A lulav, whether it's bound together, you know how we bind the lulav, the arvan, the hadasim together, whether it's bound together or not, it's valid. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, agud kasher, sheno agud pasul. Rabbi Yehuda says, no, if it's not agud, it's pasul. Now, my time at Rabbi Yehuda. So what's Rabbi Yehuda's reason? Yalif likicha likicha miagudate zov. Because when it talks about taking the bundle of moss um, for the Pesach in Mitzrayim, it says, ulekachtem agudate zov. You shall take a bundle of moss and you dip it in the cup with the blood and put it on the door. Says in both places, both for paguda. So just like the agudate zov is a bundle, you have to take it together because you you it's 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 grass. Similarly, the taking of the lulav and the other things mentioned with it is to be taken together. That's how he understands it. And the Rabbanan say, we don't have that Zera Shavat. So now, who is going to be the author based on that machloket of the following Brayta? Lulav mitzvah le'ogdo. It's good to bind the lulav together. But if you didn't bind it together, it's still valid. So it's a desideratum, but it's not a sine qua non. If it's Rabbi Yehuda as the author, Kilo agdo amai kasher. He should say it's invalid. If it's according to the Rabbanan who say you don't need to bind it together, then why is there a value to it? The answer is Leolam Rabbanan. Of course it's Rabbanan. So we now see a new angle in Hidur Mitzvah. Not only is Hidur Mitzvah have a nice lulav and nice aravah, nice hadasim, but have the whole thing brought together so that when you're holding it, it's more beautiful. And so this now raises Hidur Mitzvah, but again, keeps it limited uh, because we didn't see that in another context. Okay, now, the Ritva here, uh, and we're going to immediately see um, a Machlokot Rishonim, evidently a Machlokot Rishonim, about what the status of Hidur Mitzvah is. 
The Ritva's comment here is the following. Uh, you cannot say that there's a mitzvah from the Torah to bind it together. Why is that? You can't say the Torah says, ideally bind it together, but if you didn't, it's kasher. Why? And here he says, a banner statement. Very big statement to remember. Everything that's the oraita, we do not distinguish between the chatchila and the avad. I mean, when the Torah makes a demand, that's the demand. He says the whole notion of something only being lachatchila, meaning only being ideal but not vital, means it's the rabbanan. So he says he mitzvah is the rabbanan. Zeli vanvehu is not pshat, but zeli vanvehu is also not a real derivation. It's an asmachta, meaning we're using it to prop up a rabbinic idea. And the rabbinic idea is to beautify mitzvot. So if you didn't beautify the mitzvah, you still fulfilled the doraita. That's the Ramban, the Ritva. However, and I'll give you a little bit of the history of this, in a work known as Katuv Sham, which is a very strange name for a book, authored by the Ravad, you know, the Ravad of Poskir, who was famously known, although he did many other things, as the Baal Hasagot, the one who wrote the glosses, he wrote the most famous glosses are the glosses on the Rambam, and the disputes between Rambam and Ravad are, le- are legendary. Uh, and uh, he he lived during the life of the Rambam. He actually was older than the Rambam, and he lived in uh, in Provence. And the Rambam would send the folios of his Mishnah Torah as he was writing them to Provence for their feedback, and he valued their feedback. But the Ravad pulled no punches. And as you could see, sometimes in the Machlokot Rambam and Ravad, the Ravad is quite acerbic in his uh, in his response. But that wasn't, the, that wasn't the only set of Hasagot that he wrote. Um, the, uh, he had a contemporary, Rabbi Zrachia HaLevi, um, who wrote a critique of the Rif. And, the, uh, and there were two who came to defend the Rif. One of them later on was the Ramban. And the Ramban wrote a book called Milchamot Hashem. And Milchamot Hashem is... Uh, is uh, classically published right next to the Sefer HaMa'or, Rabbi Zrachia Levi's critique of the riff, under the riff. So if you go to the back of a of a larger Gemara that has the riff, you'll see on the bottom, Sefer HaMa'or, it'll be Eidor HaMa'or, Katan, Ma'or Gadol, depends on Masachat, and Mechamot Hashem. And those disputes are, again, legendary. Ma'or, Mechamot, great disputes. Um, but the Ravad also wrote a defense of the riff, and he called it Katuv Sham, because he started every paragraph with Katuv Sham. He would quote what the Balhamor said, and then he'd rip it apart. So the in the Katuv Sham, on the, and it's all in the late uh, 12th, early 13th century. Um, in, in the Katuv Sham, Masachat Sukkah, this is on our Sugya, the page number, Dav Zion is Rif Pages, Dav Zion. So he says, Vagida nami lo ma'akva, filo Rabbi Yehuda, damar gavilulav ma'akva. He said, even Rabbi Yehuda would say that if you don't bind it together, it's not ma'akev. Uh, sorry, the, uh, for the uh, for the um, the boss for Pesach, because lulav ma'akva. He says, certainly says it's ma'akev for lulav. Why hatam hu denafka le mitzvat agida vehu. Rabbi says something that's mysterious here. He says that the, the Rabbi Yehuda got his notion of, of Agida, of having to pull the Lulav together from Ze'ilivyan Vehu. In other words, he holds that's the Oraita. Atya kicha kicha la'akev. So the Ravad, by the way, disagrees with the Ritva powerfully here and says the Torah itself, and there's ample support for this position, the Torah itself does speak about the Chathilan Bidiyavad. And ample support is things that we've seen in Shir earlier, especially in the world of Kodshim, when the Torah will present a command twice, and the position of the Gemara is, the first time it says that it's L'mitzvah, and the second time it's L'akev. The first time is to say this is ideal, and third and second time it says it is to say it's vital. And so the Ravad takes a, takes a page from that and says that, the, that Rabbi Huda, starting out from a zero position, says that there's an ideal to put the lulav together with the other species because zeli vehu. 
which means that's Doraita. And then Kicha, Kicha, or Lekicha, Lekicha is Lakev. That's the second one that says that it makes it vital. And therefore, if you didn't bind the Lulav together, it's invalid. Avalagabe Ezov, but in the context of the Ezov, at Pesach, Xerashava, the Kicha, Kicha, you only have one thing, which is Lekicha, Lekicha. And the Rabbanan would agree that there's an ideal to have the Ezov together, right? So which means, by the way, that he thinks that, that Rabbi Yehuda is going to be the only one who buys into applying Ze'eliv Yanvehu to the Lulav, to binding them together, and therefore he'll say it's Ma'akev, which means, by the way, the Ravad is of the opinion that Ze'eliv Yanvehu, for those who... Uh, who adopt it in a particular context will hold its de'oraita. And so we have a machloket here about whether this whole idea is de'oraita de'rabanan. Uh, I want to show you one more source in that context, which is Rashi in the third parak. The third parak is really the parak where Hidur Mitzvah gets cooking because it talks about a dried-out lulav being invalid, and that's because of Hadar. And later on in the parak it says the um, El Rav, Damar Ein Zadar, Kashbab Chanina, Filu Bishani Nami, Larav Lonafiki. Right? That's the context of the beginning of the parak. And then he says, Daham Mitzvah Hadura Ba'inan. And then Rash says an interesting thing. Ho'ilu Mazkir Shem Shamayim Alav. Now here's the, the background. In the beginning of the parak, we distinguish between the first day of Sukkot when Lulav is the Oraita. And therefore, for instance, the demand that you own it is uh, is part of the mitzvah, as opposed to the rest of the week when it's zechel mikdash. Because remember that midoraita, the mitzvah of lulav, is only one day, and it's seven days in the mikdash. And and uh, so Rash says, why would it be that we would have a demand of hadar on lulav during the rest of the week? It says an interesting thing because mazkir shem shemayim alav, that when you take the lulav, you're saying a bracha. And you're saying the bracha, therefore it should be muhudar, which is a very interesting insight, which may mean that Rashi's take on the whole notion of hidur mitzvah is that hidur mitzvah is really related to sanctifying or beautifying God's name. And therefore, since every one of these objects, the sukkah, the lulav, the sefer Torah, especially that has God's name in it, multiple, many, hundred thousand of times, um, um, has to be beautiful as part of Ze'eli Ve'anvehu, I will beautify God. And I'll beautify God in the sense of God's name. Okay. Uh, take a look at page three, and we see uh, an ancillary source, an ancillary text. I mentioned this earlier. Uh, and we've already seen um, in, in the Sugyot and Sukkah this reference. But when the Torah speaks about the four species, it refers to the one we call an etrog as pre eitz hadar. It's big machlok at what hadar means. I uh, take a look at uh, source 19, Rabbi Yosef Bechor Shor's comment. He quotes a beautiful midrash um, that says that Am um, Yisrael Yom Kippur, and they go to judgment, and are they judged favorably or not favorably? So why, by walking out with the lulav and the beautiful etrog lifted up high, it's going to demonstrate that they actually um, came out um, uh, judged and were acquitted. It's a beautiful image that we take the lulav, and remember the Torah refers to the first day of Sukkot as Yom HaRishon, which is odd because the 15th. And the famous Midrash, it's the first day of reckoning any sort of sins because Yom Kippur were forgiven. For four days, we're totally engaged in building a sukkah and then and preparing a lulav, and then it's the first day. So it's just like we walk out from the court holding up our lulav high and these beautiful fruits. So the notion of pre Sadar, but notice the reason I brought this in was because he seems to be saying all of them should be beautiful because they should all represent a victorious march out of the out of the uh, out of the bait team. The Rabag here says um, says another piece which is Yorem Mitzad Horat pre Sadar El Haetrog. Right, that the Priyatadar is referring to the Etrog. Why does the Torah refer to it as Priyatadar? Why did the Torah pick Etrog? Because it's beautiful. Therefore, we can't be Yotze unless it's beautiful. And then he says, 
ומזה המקום יפאר ששאר הדברים הנלווים עמו יחויב בכל אחד מהם גם כן שיהיה הדר. That's how we know that the lulav, arava, and hadas also have to be hadar. And by the way, take that one step further, and that the binding together should be hadar. But now what we find here is something curious. First of all, these, uh, the, this comment to Ravag seems to indicate that, that the obligation of having hadar, is, uh, at least in the area of the arbaminim, is doraita. Seems to be. Second thing is that he says that it, it's put in, and this is also what the Bechor Shor seems to hint to, is that it's put, put in as a description of the Etrog to tell us that all four species, everything that we have there should be Hadar, and maybe the way that we carry them should be Hadar, the way that we bind them together should be Hadar. Okay, so we, we but again, we see that Hadar now has become telescoped on one particular area of, uh, of Halacha, and that is the area of the Arba Minim. Uh, which kind of left us behind when it came to Sukana uh, and Tzitzitna and Sefer Torah, etc. Okay, important note, just parenthetically, you see there's no Rambams in the Shir, and the reason is because the Rambam does not uh, does not subscribe, seemingly, to Yidur Mitzvah. There is a line in Hachot Sefer Torah, but it's a little unclear if he means that. Okay, we'll take a look at this piece in um, in the middle of the first parak of Baba Kama. Amar of Zera, and we'll see a parallel in the Yushalmi below. Amar of Hunav Mitzvah Ad Shlish. When it comes to Mitzvah, you have to spend a third. My Shlish, what does that mean, a third? What does it mean for a Mitzvah? You have to spend a third. Ilem Shlish Beitot, does it mean you have to spend a third of everything you own for Mitzvah? So that means if three Mitzvot come along at one time, you have to lose everything? So that's, I'm mean, clearly not. El Amar of Zera, Bihidur Mitzvah Ad Shlish. It means. Hidur mitzvah, you have to spend a shlish. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean, before we get into the technical part, which the Gemara is going to deal with, does that mean that every mitzvah comes along, you should spend a third more to mahadirat? Or does it mean in those mitzvot where hidur mitzvah makes a difference, and as a, as a consideration, then you spend a third? Okay, so now, boy ravashi, shlish milgav or shlish milavar. Does it mean um, a, an aggregate third or not? Right, which means, do you say that um, if I uh, if I was going to spend a hundred dollars now for that, I now have to spend a hundred fifty, so that one third of my total is um, is is hidur, or do I say I spend thirty three, and so that means that I spent a third of what I was going to spend, I added another third. That's a question in teku. We leave that as a teku. In Eretz Israel, they said. That and we're going to see this in the Yerushalmi. That one third is yours. Mikan ve'elach Mishal Hakadosh Baruch Hu. What does that mean? So we'll see in Rashi. So the first thing in Rashi we see: Vidur Mitzvah Shlish LeMitzvah. Shemotzei Shnei Sifrei Torot. Shnei Sifrei Torah. Although in rabbinic, the plural in the in the in the uh, con, that construct uh, sometimes is double plural. You found two Sifrei Torah. Even if you're going to buy a Sefer Torah, and you found two on the market. And one is nicer than the other. You should pay able, you should be ready to pay up to one third more to get the nicer one. So it's not that spending more is itself the hidur, but you should be willing to spend more to get the nicer one. Notice that Rashi here switched the order of the Brayta, but that was to put Sefer Torah first, because that was the example he gave. And then he says, "Ad shlish mishalo." What does that mean? Dahainu oto shlish yosif bidur mitzvah mishalohu. Shenoni fralo b'chayav. The third that you add is your obligation, and therefore you don't get that paid back by God, as it were, while you're alive. That's for olam haba. Kadamrin hayom la asotam v'lo hayom nitos charam. Right? You don't get rewards for mitzvot in this world. That's the mitzvah. That means it's your obligation, which means hidur mitzvah is itself an obligation. It's not. Um, a supererogatory behavior, but it's something that you're obligated to do, which is interesting because you're obligated to buy a Sefer Torah, let's say, and now built into that obligation is buy a nicer one. Right? We could see that there's the potential for sort of reification on that. Tosfot here says, An Shlish B'mitzvah, this is an interesting thing about what that means. Rashi said it's about money. He says it doesn't mean that a shlish is only about money. It's got to certainly be about money because of the context of the uh, of the Gemara, or likely, but he says it's something else also. 
which is let's say you found a small etrog and you could find a bigger one. If it's a third bigger, you should buy it. And that's how, how much more you should go from the minimum. So the minimum is the size of a nut. You can find one up to a third bigger, you should buy it. Okay. The Yushalmi, I mentioned the par- par- parallel Yushalmi, Vunamar le mitzvah, ad shlish. Mahu lechol ha-mitzvot, ad shlish, or mitzvah achat. So does mean for all mitzvot a third, or for one mitzvah? Savin meimar lechol ha-mitzvot ad shlish. So the Beit Midrash, they thought it meant for all mitzvot up to one third. We still don't know what it means. Now, even for any one mitzvah, you should spend a shlish. So, Rechayim was quoted to the rabbis of there, Bavel, So, shlish means money. What does that mean? You bought something for mitzvah. You found a better one. How much do they bother you? Which means, by the way, you trade this one in and get a better one. It doesn't mean you have to buy both. So we actually trouble you, Ajlish, which means, again, it's an obligation. Now, Taner Rav Yishmael, Zelivyan Veu. Now, notice in the Bavli, there was no connection between the obligation that Rabbi Zerah mentioned of spending a Shlish and the Breita of Zelivyan Veu and Hidur Mitzvah. All right? However, the Yushami binds them together. Taner Rav Yishmael, Zelivyan Veu, Chiafshal Adam, Nanavot et Boro. Again, this is the third time that we've seen that. Okay, so bottom line, how does this all play out? So we see the the tour says, You found an etrog that you could be outside with. You found a nicer one. You should spend up to a third. Uh, of the amount that you spent originally, swap it. You don't have to now buy a second one for a third more. If you can swap it, then uh, you should be able to spend about a third more. The Shulchan Aruch um, has one si'if in this siman, siman tafrish nun vav. You bought a minimal etrog. You could use to be yotze. It's like a small egg. And you found a bigger one. Now he's picking up on Tosfot that's about size also. He paskin shlish milgav, which means that it's not the aggregate, but rather you add a third of what you spent. So it's the lesser amount. Swap it for a better one. And he says, and some people think that if you have two etrogim to buy and one is nicer than the other one, you should take the nicer one if it's not more than one-third of the one that it costs, which means the Shochanach brings two different scenarios and doesn't bind them together. He brings two different scenarios as alternatives here about what Hidur Mitzvah is. He said, first, one of them is you already bought it, and then you found a better one. How much do you have to be willing to trade up? And the second one is when choosing and you found one that is acceptable, but you have another one that's nicer, that how much should you be willing to spend to get the better one, which is effectively the same thing. Now, the Ramah says, Umisha in lo etrog. Interesting take, but notice what he says here. If you don't have an etrog, o sha'ar mitzvah overet, or any other mitzvah which is Time bound, which means you're going to buy it now, but it's going to be gone. You don't need it later. You don't have to spend a lot of money to get one. And he ties this in with the Sugyang Tubot and Takanat Usha, which said that a person should never give away more than one fifth for charity or anything else of their of what they have. So you don't have to spend all your money. I know this flies in the face of a very popular recent movie, but you don't have to spend all of your money to get a an etrog, especially mitzvah which is overt, which which you won't need later. Afilu mitzvah overt, right? Good v'davka mitzvah tasei. This is um, this is specifically for mitzvah tasei. Avalota sei ten koma mano kodem shi'avor. However, uh, if it's a lota sei, then you have to give all of your money rather than to violate it. Uh, and of course, we've heard many valorous stories of people who who did the same. I want to take a look at two more things before finishing. One of them is several interesting applications to the issue of 
of Hidur Mitzvah in other areas. Because remember, what we've seen is we started by looking at Hidur Mitzvah as a broad uh, piece, which we saw applied to physical objects that you buy or fashion for a mitzvah. And we saw it also applied to Brit Milah, although that never seemed to develop, although that was used at least as part of the argument in our original sugya. Uh, we saw that it focused and kind of um, pinpointed itself on the issue of the etrog and from there to the lulav and the way that lulav operates. Uh, we saw that one of the items in um, in the Brita was a sukana aba that was listed with the others. One thing I don't want to leave unmentioned is that there is a notion, a halachic notion of noye sukkah, the beautiful decorations of a sukkah which have a halachic status which we don't really apply to other areas. So the sukkah may be affected by the Arba Minim in that way, uh, and such that uh, such that noy sukkah, and they even use the word noy sukkah uh, to describe it. However, we're going to see just a few smattering of applications from different places, which may be surprising. Uh, the first one um, is in Psachim, the very beginning of the last parak of Psachim, Arve Psachim, or Arab Psachim, depending who you ask, uh, teaches that you're not allowed to eat in the afternoon of Erev Pesach, right? And the Gemara then goes on to discuss how is that different than every Erev Shabbat and Erev Yom Tov. And the answer is that the restriction is either greater or longer. In other words, you have to do less eating or eating, stop eating earlier uh, in the afternoon for Pesach. What's the reason? So Rashi says this, but we generally aren't big fans of Rashi and our Pesachim and instead use the Rashbam. Uh, we're not, not sure that Rashi there, almost assuredly Rashi that's printed there is not really Rashi, so we f- prefer the Rashbam. So that at night, when you eat matzah, you will eat it with a great lustful appetite, because you'll be hungry, because you didn't eat all afternoon, and that will be Hidur Mitzvah. So now Hidur Mitzvah has suddenly not only gone into the area of matzah, and nobody has suggested you have to make matzah look attractive. However, here the Hidur Mitzvah is how you eat it. So if you eat it with real joy and, and, and pleasure, then that's Hidur Mitzvah. The Mitzvah here not being the physical object, but rather the act of eating, which, by the way, casts a very important possible light on all sorts of other things, and we're going to see that at the very end of the year. Uh, in Masachat Yoma, Daf Memalaf, it talks about um, drawing the, 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 the different components that go into the Paraduma to uh, fire, drawing them together. And the Gemara asks, Lama Korchan, Kadeshu Kulan, Maguda Achat, very Rabbi. Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Shimon Omer, Kadeshu Mahen Koved. So why are they drawn together? So Rabbi says so that they should be in a, in a common bound thing. And also, Shimon says, no, that they should have some weight so that when they go in the fire, they won't, they won't pop out. They'll go down. Good. Now, the Ritva here in his comment, which very likely is the, uh, is the Rimigash, he says, since the different things you take, the red string and the, and the, uh, and the hyssop and the uh, cedar branch are all little things, by binding them together, there's a hidur mitzvah there. Now, this seems to be taken from lulav. But the idea of binding things together is being a hidur mitzvah, but suddenly applied in a very different place. Uh, we won't read through all of Source 31, but Source 31, which is the Me'iri and Sota, and the Sugya of Berchat Kohanim, describes Seder Nisiyut Kapayim, what, what Berchat Kohanim looks like, and uh, basically to paraphrase it, that at what point did the Kohanim move towards going up front, and they say it's filah, and they face the Aron, and then when everything is finished, we'll pick it up um, on the fourth line from the bottom. When the Shtech Tzibor finishes, and the Tzibor says, Amen, Shtech Tzibor Korei B'Kol Ram Kohanim. The Shtech Tzibor says, Kohanim, Ve'en Machzirin Pnehem Klapei Ha'am. And then they turn around, face the people, uposhtin etzbaotehem, they open up their fingers, stick them out, umagmihin yedehem, lift their hands up, kenegekitfotehem, even with their shoulders, umvachin kol achad mehem, and each one of them says, baruch atashem v'kem cholam, shekirishan mikshato shel aron, tzivon adverach atamo yisrael b'yahava, we're familiar with this bracha, ve'afapishen abracham me'akevet, so he says, even though, even if you didn't say the bracha, berchat konim is still there, mikom makom hidur mitzvahu, now, 
it's unclear whether he means saying the bracha zidur mitzvah probably doesn't mean that, or whether he means that all of these things, such as the choreography of going up there at a certain time, facing their own, waiting, turning around, opening your hands, lifting them up, etc., is all part of hidur mitzvah, which means that suddenly the atmospherics around a mitzvah become hidur mitzvah, an interesting application uh, of the notion of hidur mitzvah. I'd like to conclude by pointing it to us in us to into a very different kind of direction uh, that um, may be surprising what I think is actually a very apt conclusion to the shiur. As we have seen over the course of the shiur, um, hidur mitzvah stems from a pasuk where it certainly doesn't mean that in pshat. Uh, the closest that it could mean is, I will beautify God through my words in this song. However, Midrash, including Midrash Halacha, is perfectly willing to look at uh, phrases um, and even words out of context and to interpret them halachically. And so we find Rabbi Shmuel's approach to Vian Vehu, meaning I will beautify God in the way I'll beautify God, because you can't beautify God, I'll beautify the mitzvot, the vehicles that I use for praising God and for worshiping God, and I will beautify them as a way of beautifying God. And then we saw Hidur Mitzvah, telescope in on the issue of sukkah, but we saw just now a few different applications to it in different areas of halacha, including not just the physical objects, but the way that things are done. So grabbing a bound, a bind of things together and holding them in one hand as hidur mitzvah. Not eating before matzah is a way of making eating matzah mihudar. And, uh, and the way that berchat konim is done with all of the pomp and circumstance as being part of hidur mitzvah. So we can go now to what we might consider to be very early Musar Sefer, uh, a very uh, uh, Sefer Machshava. It's considered to be among books of Jewish thought, uh, written by Rabbi Lazar Azkari. He's actually more famous for something else. I'll tell you in a minute what it is. You can see the dates and where he lived in Tzfat. Um, and he wrote a book called Sefer Charedim. And this is, predates the modern use of the word Charedim by about... Uh, 400 years, uh, close to. And um, Sefer Haredim is really a book that's intended to motivate people in their Avodat Hashem. It's a beautiful book. Balazar uh, Azkari is more well-known for a beautiful poem that he wrote, uh, which is called Yedid Nefesh. Uh, Yedid Nefesh, parenthetically, uh, has a very popular uh, version. Um, I'm not talking about the music, but of the words, which is almost assuredly uh, mistaken, including in some cases censored. And uh, Benayahu, a number of years ago, identified, based on a manuscript, a proper version, which is printed in the, uh, in the Koran Sidurim and in the Renat Yisrael Sidurim, and uh, both linguistically and poetically and even ideationally uh, is more accurate. But in the meantime, the, in his introduction, he writes, A person should make sure first to do all of the things necessary for every mitzvah to do it properly. So that mitzvah should be accepted properly with grace and favor before our Creator and our King. We should not come embarrassed to the world to come. And I'll just show you a few of them. Uh, the first one is that we should do every mitzvah with intent to fulfill the mitzvah. Uh, two and three, they're together, are to do everything with fear of God and with love of God. All right? The fourth is uh, is rejoicing, etc., etc. We get to the last one. It's interesting. It's not the last one. The list goes on, but never room on the page. And he says, The 14th condition uh, of doing any mitzvah is hidur mitzvah which is to beautify the mitzvah. Right? And he says very straight, even though we did not see this in the Gemara or the Rishonim, he said that it is true about all mitzvot, meaning all mitzvot should be done behidur. Now, hidur here, he does not explicate as being about the value of the object or the beauty of the object or about the atmospherics of the object or of the of the act. And he does quote the Gemara in Vavakama that we saw that says that you have to be, be willing to spend up to a third. So it seems to be about value, but not necessarily limited to that. In any case, 
he sees this as being an essential component of Avodat Hashem. And if you think back to the entire through the entire shiur, you could see that that's really something that courses through the limud. It starts out with a a line said about our relationship with God, and if means mitzvot, that means that everything that we do in relationship to God, all the mitzvot we do, and everything that we do, not, whether it's a physical object of a mitzvah or it's an act of a mitzvah, should be done beautifully. And a way to do something beautifully is, if it's a physical object, make the object more beautiful. If it's an act, do the act in a more beautiful way. Do it in a more um, aesthetically pleasing way. Make the singing nicer. All of that is part of Hidur Mitzvah as a broad approach to Avodat Hashem. So, Mirza Hashem, uh, we will uh, have the opportunity always to be Mahader Mitzvot. And uh, we have, uh, over the course of the last hour, studied the Sugya Vidur Mitzvah. And Mirza Hashem soon will be able to study Behidur Rav, which is, of course, for us to be able to come together uh, in person. But in the meantime, we'll We'll rely on this medium.